All right, so we're going to be in Matthew 24, verse 42 this morning. We're going to start here, and I'm going to do my best, y'all, believe it or not, to blitz through the rest of this chapter and, if we can get to it, all of chapter 25. Do you believe it? No. Yes. Yes, there are no belief. All right. <laughs> verse 42 begins this way. Again, this is in, in your Bible. If it's in red letters, that, that's obviously the, the words of Jesus. It says, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house has known of what time the night of the, that the thief was coming, he would have been on alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Now, so Jesus has come off of the Temple Mount, right? This is probably, in my mind, this is probably the next morning, all right, so in chapter 23, you know, Jesus comes off the top rope on the Temple Mount, <laughs> bam, and just pegs all the, uh, all the Pharisees, just drills them into the ground to the point where the disciples, and I kind of jokingly said, you know, kind of pick him up under his armpits, like, all right, Jesus, time to go, and move him on. And, uh, and then a few minutes later, they try to calm the situation down, like, man, look how the, all the beautiful buildings today, Jesus, look, just... And he's like, you see all these buildings? God's going to tear them all down, you know, especially this temple, because uh, it, it doesn't follow God anymore. And they're like, okay, he's still hot. Um, and then they get up, and they have a moment, at the, I think, at the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is kind of breathing a little bit, his blood pressure's dropping, and, uh, and he goes on and he starts talking about what the end times will look like, what Jerusalem's going to look like when it gets destroyed, and what the world's going to look like before Jesus comes back. And so by the time we get here about uh, chapter uh, 24, verse 32 and verse 42, Jesus begins to go, okay, <laughs> all right, that was, that was uh, I'm not apologizing for what I said because it was all right, but I need to explain some things. I need to start speaking to you in parables again. And he transitions out of first gear in four-wheel drive where he's just dogging it out. And he's like, all right, we're going to go back. We're going to go into two-wheel drive. I'm going to start teaching you. It's just some parables, right, uh, so that you can understand. When I dropped the hammer and said, God's going to wipe everything out, I don't want you to be afraid of that. It's coming. But let me tell you some stories. And in, in verse 42, one of the illustrations, there must have been a question prompting this, right? And so Jesus says, look, my return, when, when I go, when I come back, it's going to be like a thief in the night, Right? And obviously, whoever he's talking to, uh, maybe Peter, maybe John, maybe Matthew, who's writing this, and he goes, look, if you knew someone was going to break into your house at night, you'd have, you'd have your, your shotgun sitting right by your bed, right? And everybody kind of does this, like, yeah, yeah, of course we would. He said, but you don't know, right? So you just need to be ready, like all the time ready, like, like someone is coming. Like you need to be ready to roll. And then verse 45. Who then is a faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge uh, of his household to give them food at the proper time? Now, in this day and age, uh, look, uh, up until the 1700s, 1800s uh, in the world, 80% of the world population were slaves. All right? I know it's a political hot topic, and I'm not belittling it. Uh, no person deserves to be enslaved. That is in no way uh, an acceptable Christian position at all. Uh, but the reality of Jesus' day is that 80% uh, or more of the world population were born slaves and died slaves. You, that was just the category, right, that, that your, 
you lived in, you understood, you worked for that guy, and by all rights and purposes, he dictated your day. Well, what, what determined a good master and a poor master is someone who took care of their people. It's the same category we think of in a leader today, right? You can lead an organization really effectively, but treat your people like garbage. Is that a, a true statement? You can be very successful in business and treat your people like garbage, but you can also be very successful in business and treat your people really well. I'd also say that the, the opposite side of that is true. You can treat your people like garbage and fail, or you can treat your people really, really well and still fail at business, right? That, that they're not, not you know, married to each other, but a good master, a good leader is taking care of his people, and he leaves one of his slaves in charge. He's going to go away on a trip, He's going to leave him in charge, and look, I need you to take care of the people, right? I make sure that they get fed on time. I make sure that they're properly, uh, uh, you know, they have the clothes to wear. They have the food to eat. That They have roofs over their heads, and I'm going to leave you in charge and make sure that happens, right? And so Jesus is asking, who then is a faithful and sensible slave when his master put him in charge of his household to give them their food at their proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes back. Right? So I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be gone for a month. Will you take care of everybody? And you go, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And I come back after a month, and lo and behold, everyone looks healthy and happy, and the work's getting done, and people seem accomplished and satisfied in their, in their work, and their families are taken care of. So good job. And that's what Jesus is asking. Who is that? When the, when the Lord comes back, will he find the people that you have stewardship over? be well taken care of, right? So you ask yourself that. Who do you have stewardship over? Now, obviously, we're not going to talk in master-slave uh, terminology, but who do you have stewardship over? Well, those of you who have small children, you have stewardship over them. Those of you who have grown children, do you have stewardship over them anymore? Not really, right? Uh, and you hope that they, they take care of business, um, but you you... You know, you become more of a guide and an advisor. And if you're not careful, a condescending person. Like, mm, that's not how we did it when we were coming out. Nobody cares. That's a different world. Leave me alone. I'm raising these kids. These are my stewardship. Um, but he's saying, I, I need a good servant to do that. Will you be that? And who is he talking to? He's talking only to the disciples, right? I'm guessing this is an early morning pre-breakfast conversation. Or just a simple, we're walking back to Jerusalem for the morning conversation. But then he, then he contrasts them. Uh, uh, verse 40, um, 40, 48. 47. Truly I say to you that he will be put, uh, that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. All right. So if you're, if you're wise steward of what you've been given, uh, when you've been found successful, you will be given more opportunity. Uh, verse 48. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow slaves and begins to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour which he does not know. Let's just pause for a second and say this. Good news travels, does it not? But what do we say? Bad news travels, travels faster. I guarantee you somebody rode by his property and and phoned a friend, and we're like, hey, brother, you need to, you got some folks over here not, not behaving right. Verse 15, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect it. He said he's going to be gone a month. He came back. 
at week three. And here you are out in the field beating old Carl. And he looks half starved. And he, what are you doing? Look what the text says. He will come home in an hour, which he does not know, and he will. This is, this is tender Christian language, isn't it? Right? What does it say? He will cut him in pieces. Now, I don't know if that's metaphorical. I've, I've had some conversations with superiors before that I felt I walked out and I felt, well, I feel chewed up, uh, specifically one region of the body, and, uh, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of tree, tw- teeth. When's the last time we heard that language in reference to what? Hell. To hell. Okay. So he didn't say it. He didn't say hell outright, but he clearly alluded to that, right? He's saying, all right. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 25. Now he goes into this parable. Uh, so it, we need to point out here, it's dangerous when you take a parable and you try to pull all the parts apart and assign meaning to every little detail. That's when parables fall apart. Good morning. Uh, You want to hit a parable and hit the high points. What was the major point that Jesus is going to try to make? Let's read it, and we'll talk about it. Chapter 25, verse 1. So the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Okay. So, again, this this is a walk away conversation. So we're walking around. Uh, perhaps we're sitting at lunch or dinner or a meal, and and the, the disciples are still asking questions like, "What what are you? What do you? You're going away, and then you're going to come back. Like, what are we supposed to do in the middle? Like, what are we supposed to do? D- doesn't this kind of feel like he's going to an- he's answering these questions as they're coming in? And Matthew just didn't record the questions. So so the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamp and went out to meet the bridegroom. So this is clearly describing a Jewish wedding uh, event. All right? It was customary uh, that the, the, the bride, uh, she would be, a veil would be put on her by her parents, and, uh, and she, would, she would kind of be waiting there uh, for the bridegroom. The bridegroom, uh, he would get all dressed up, right, in all of his, his best, his wedding uh, robes and, and things of that nature, and all of his uh, fraternity brothers would get together. They would all come to his house um, with like pots and pans and spoons and whatever they could make noise with, and uh, they'd have their lamps so they had light and they had noise, and they would go get the bridegroom. And uh, you know, there's an old song. Is it? Uh, is it from? Uh, what was the movie with? Not Doctor Doolittle. What was the other one? Yeah, just get me to the church on time. Come on, sister. Oh, that's uh, my fair lady. My fair lady. There's a song where the guy's singing just. Yeah, well, they're the same actor. Stand by. Just Rex Harrison. Rex Harrison. There, 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 there it is. But there's a song in there that just he's he's at the bar, he's drinking, and he's like, look, just look, let me party all night, but just just get me to the church on time. All right. So the bridegroom's got that mentality, like, look, just get me to the bride on time. And uh, but the bride, the bridegroom has all these groomsmen, and if groomsmen are known for anything, like all the bridesmaids are all dressed up, they're so pretty. Gosh, y'all just work so hard on yourself. You look fantastic, and the groomsmen, and I've done enough weddings to know, like they're all tanked up, right? They're, you know, they're all. I was like, so stop, you know. But they're in their rent-a-tux, right? They spent their fifty dollars and um, on the tux, and they show up. And they're just all about the shenanigans, are they not? 
That's what groomsmen do. That's what, that's what good bro friends are, are good for is like they're going to make fun of you at your most important moment of life. And so what they do is they would wander the streets with the bridegroom. They're carrying him, right? Hey! And he's like, no, guys, we got to go left on, uh, on Smith Street. And they're like, we're going to take the long way around. Uh, and this is what's happening because they understand this language. This is what you do. This is what you do for your friends who are getting married. You're like, look, hey, guys, I got to get to the church on time. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, um, whatever. Five of them, uh, these are the virgins that are waiting. These are the bridesmaids that have, they've gone out to wait for the bridegroom because he's going to show up at a certain time at a certain spot. That's the plan, but there are groomsmen involved, okay? Five of these uh, virgins were foolish, and five were prudent or wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil, extra oil with them, but the prudent took oil in the flask along with their lamps. Uh, so these lamps are, if you can, uh, they're, they're about... They're about this big, okay? They're not real big at all. They're, if you can think of like almost like a, just a real simple, delicate saucer, like a tea saucer, not much bigger than that. Uh, matter of fact, it's kind of small. It's got a concave bottom, concave top with one little spout. And they would take a twine or a piece of cotton or flax or whatever, and they would stick it down in that, in that lamp that was full of olive oil, and it would soak the wick, and they would light it, Okay? And as long as there's oil being drawn up that wick, you would just, you just pull the wick up a little bit, trim it, burn it down, pull it up, trim it. And so they sat there and waited on these chucklehead groomsmen as they're roaming the streets of Decatur, Alabama, you know, beating their pots and carrying their, bride, their groom. Hey, and and you can hear them. We can hear them. They're four blocks over, but they hadn't got there yet. Now look what happened. Verse 5. Now while the bridegroom was... We should add the word being delayed, right? Was delaying, they, the, these 10 young ladies, all got drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. So all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And when they trimmed their lamps, they had fallen asleep and they had forgotten to put their lamps out. And, oh no, what happened? Their lamps wouldn't light. Their bick was out of, uh, uh, well, you know, uh, what is it, butane? And they're like, oh, no, we've run out. So they turn to the five that had no oil, turn to the five with oil, and go, hey, uh, we, need, uh, we need some oil. Look at the text. Give us some of your oil in verse 8, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent ones answered, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. But what time is it? It's midnight. Okay. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the, bride, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, 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 open for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Now, it's, I should point out to you this. Um, in, in the Middle East culture, uh, what's the best time to be up and moving? Now, we say early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. But we also live in an era of air conditioning and televisions, okay? Um, so uh, in the Middle East, around about, oh, I say 11, 30, 12 o'clock, the, sh the shop shut down, like to this day. And for the next three or four hours, nobody's out because it's 100 billion degrees outside. And we're like, we're just going to stay inside. 
And then around 4.30, 5 o'clock, shops start opening up, and they stay open until 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Why? Yeah, and people can get up and move around without feeling like their brains are boiling inside of their skull. So were the shops open? 100%, yes. These shops were open. They were ready for business. What's the problem? These people weren't ready. They had to go shopping when they should have been sitting at, the, at this intersection ready to roll. So Jesus is kind of telling the story of well, we have prepared and unprepared. They all showed up, but only half of them were ready when the bridegroom showed up. Now, who's the bridegroom in this parable? Jesus. It's Jesus. Who are the five that were prepared? The true converts to Christianity, because not only had they trusted the Lord to get them here, they were putting their faith that the return would come and they'd be ready to go. What are you, who are the other five? This is a weird parable when you, can you break it down like this? What, what, who's the other five? Oh, so we've got people in our group that showed up ready to meet the bridegroom but weren't prepared for all the hardship to follow. And when hardship hit, they had to go find a different avenue to take care of business. Do you see it? So Jesus is looking at his disciples going, hey, not all of the people that you see in the group are going to make it. Who do you think he's talking about? It could be a reference to Judas here. He's saying, Jesus is saying to his followers, don't be like the unwise and not be ready for the hardship. You've seen the good. You've seen the miracles. But you need to be prepared when I delay and you th- when I'm not here when you think I should be here and hardship sets in, you need to be prepared to carry on when we're ready to go. Okay. So it's not just enough belief to get you there. It's sustaining faith. And as believers, as Christians, I think we have to take this to heart. Um, There are those who think that they are Christian. Matter of fact, chapter 12, or chapter uh, 25, 12 says, But the bridegroom answered, I say to you, I do not know you. That's exact language used back in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, when, when, uh, when, Jesus was preaching, and he says, you know, some of you will say, I preached in your name, I cast out demons in your name, I served in your name, and I will say to you in that day, Lord, Lord, but I will say to you, I never knew you. It's the same language. Jesus is talking about people who religiously follow, but they don't have the indwelling spirit. They're not ready to carry on the faith, and they're in our, they're in our communities. They're in, the, they're, they're in the church, Okay. Be careful that you're not that person. That's what Jesus is warning about. It's not our job to go around going, Chaz, I really got some questions about you, uh, but I think your wife's okay. That's not our role. That's not our role, right? Our role is to look at ourselves and go, am I prepared, right? You know, you need to get your knower involved, and am I prepared? So this isn't a parable of Jesus for us to go out and start looking for Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it's an inward reflection. Jesus is talking to you as a disciple, right? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Be on alert then in verse 13, for you do not know the day nor the hour. And then he goes to another parable, okay? So do you get the picture that the disciples aren't getting what he's saying? So he's having to like, all right, I'm going to tell you another story. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. I got, I got that. 
But, but what about this? And so Jesus tells another story. So Matthew here is stacking parable on parable on parable, not for the crowds. And remember what they said? Jesus, why do you talk to the crowds in parables? It's because they don't understand. They don't have ears to hear. But you do have ears to hear, so I tell you plainly. Well, here at the end, what do we have? A bunch of parables. Why? Because the disciples, it's almost like they have, they, have, they have gone deaf just 48 hours before the crucifixion. Do you see that? So he, Jesus is like, all right, I got, <laughs> put the training wheels back on. All right, and let's try to figure this out, guys. For, verse 14, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who calls his own slaves and entrusts his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents. Now, a talent is a, is a form of currency at this point. It just happens to be very convenient, and I do mean that with no sarcasm. It is just very convenient that we call skills talents, right? You know, like, oh, he's a very talented person at this, or she's a very talented person at that. Um, I think the word talent here, it, it wasn't meant to be universal, but in the English language, it just happens to be, all right? So he gives, him, he gives them some currency. And uh, so he gives the first one uh, five talents to another, two talents, and to another one talent and each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. And immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you've entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. This guy, I want this guy on my team. I want this guy on my team. Uh, let's move it into real dollar terms. I'm going to give you $5 million. And in a short order of time, you turn that five into what? Ten. Ten. Do I need that guy on my team? <clears throat> If you gave all of your worldly possessions to one person and you came back three months later and you had twice of everything, you want that guy on your team? Yes, you do. Right? You absolutely do. So that's what happened. So verse 21, the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You're faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted... Uh, me with two talents, so see, I have gained two more talents. All right, so you gave this guy, you, you gave this guy, you know, you gave him, you gave him ten thousand dollars, and you came back to twenty. You still want this guy on your team? Yeah. I mean, if you had to pick one over the other, we're going with the million dollar man, right? Uh, but this guy, he's resourceful. He's he's still good. Uh, by the way, this is a good case in point principle to apply. If you want to know an objective outside of you, uh, um, a truth on if you have a good reputation. One of the benchmarks of having a good reputation is that people around you give you progressively more difficult or complex problems without fear that you're going to let them down. If you find yourself going to your boss or to your servant or to your uh, employer and go, hey, I need, hey, I, need, I need more opportunity. 
there's a high likelihood that they don't have a good reputation. They don't think well of you, right? Not that they think badly of you. That's not what I'm saying. You're a good guy, good, good gal. We really like you. Um, but someone who is building a good reputation is someone who is progressively given things that when they give them to you, kind of makes you go, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm, in, I'm in the course of, the, uh, of my career where I'm getting given some pretty big responsibilities. And every time my commander opens his mouth and says, Chaplain Clark, I go, right? Because I know I'm fixing to get pounded with, with something. That is an objective outside of me opinion going, we think you can succeed with this, okay? Now, that's free for your dollar. If in an area of your life you feel like you're not getting like those opportunities and you want to, hey, find someone who you see getting those opportunities and go, hey, come teach me. Be a mentor to me, right? I promise you people who are successful want to make other people successful, okay? So ask for that mentoring and coaching. That's free for your dollar. Take that for what it's worth. All right. So verse 24. Now, the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Um, would you talk to your boss like this? Can you talk to me? Would you talk to your boss like this? Does, what does this sound like to you? Yeah, it's almost snarky, right? Uh, uh, look, boss, we all know you're, boss, we know you're a hard man. You take, uh, you, you, whoo, But I didn't, I didn't want to come up deficient. So what you gave me, I'm going to give back to you. Now, um, in, in many ways, I don't think this is a terrible thing, right? If, if you drop off your kid at my house, right? to babysit, and you're like, you got to go do some errands. Hey, hey, Caleb, can you babysit my kid? And you come back, and I don't have three more to give you. Hey, I'm not going to call that a party foul, right? <laughs> uh, and, and if you come back, and I give you your child as you gave him to me, right? Not, no dings, bruises, cuts, scrapes. We're not missing a finger or an ear. Hey, that's, that's okay, right? I gave you one. I you gave me one. I'm giving you one back. In contrast to, though, what are we talking about? We're talking about kingdom investment. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, has been placed uniquely in each of you. And you have certain talents, gifts, and equippings. And there is an expectation from our Heavenly Father that that investment is going to pay off. Okay? Now, I, I don't mean this in any kind of arrogant way. I, I try to be very humble about what the, the Lord has gifted me with. But I have the ability to read the Scripture and teach the Scripture. Would, would we, could we come to an agreement with that? Yeah, okay, yeah. I cannot do some of the things that each of you can do. When we go and purchase a car, um, I go in and I negotiate the price, right? Uh, this is what I want. And this is the top dollar. But then when it starts coming to like interest rates and all the minutia of all the stuff, I go, you're now going to talk to my wife. And I'm going to go walk around the car that I want to drive. 
right? Because my wife, she, that's her, like seeing dollars and cents. She's almost forensic in her approach to seeing uh, the economy of scale and all the things that are happening in real time. And she kind of knows all the things that are going on. All, some of you are very gifted and talented in very unique ways. All right. It's important that you know that that is an investment given from the father to you for the benefit of the kingdom. Story time. His name was Daryl. I won't give you his last name because he may be listening to our park podcast. He was a member at our church in Yazoo city for a while. And he uh, wasn't a teacher. He loved good Bible teaching, but he did not have the skill set. He didn't think to turn it around and teach others. Uh, but something uh, that I noticed that everything he touched turned a profit. Right? It was it was really quite incredible. Uh, you remember the old Trade Winds magazines? I don't even know if they exist anymore. But you used to get them free at the gas station. You open it up. It's like Facebook Marketplace or the Craigslist before Craigslist. It was like it was that. And he could, I mean, he could almost like throw a dart at something in the trade winds and go buy it and then flip it for a profit. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, if I had to sell a child, I would lose money. Okay? I don't do very well with that kind of barter system. You come and, and hey, look, I'm, I'm selling this for $10,000. i will give you six. Okay. I'll, okay. Um, I, I lose money on those kind of deals. So I don't do those deals anymore. I, and and Daryl was really, really fantastic. He says, Caleb, he's a pastor. I just don't know what, um, what to do. I don't know what talents I had. And I said, Daryl, everything you touch, you turn a profit. He goes, that doesn't mean anything. I was like, all right, all right, all right. I said, do me, do me a solid here. I said, take your tithe check for this month. Because he very, very, very uh, uh, responsible giver. I said, don't give it to the church. Don't put it in the offering plate. <sighs> kind of a real pearl-clutching moment. What, Pastor. I was like, yeah. I was like, I want you to go take whatever your tithe check for that month is, and I want you to go buy something in the trade winds or wherever. And I want you to do, uh, I want you to do what you do with it. And then I want you to build up your war chest, and then I want you to start giving money to the church and to others based out of that war chest. And he turned like a thousand bucks into twenty thousand in just about a year, just like just like buying stuff and flipping it. Is that a gift? Can you do that? I can't do that. Now sometimes we're like, I wish I had that gift, right? But not everybody does. You have something that may not be unique. I mean, it's not like the only person in the world that does it. But you have something special that God's given you. You have a responsibility to flip it. You have a responsibility to churn it, to refine it to improve it, and to use it for the kingdom of God, right? Uh, one of the greatest things in the world, greatest horrible things that are going to happen one day is some of these incredibly talented artists, singers, and songwriters are going to stand before God, and he'll go, I gave you the ability to command the hearts and minds of millions of people with your voice. What would you do with it? And their answer is going to be, I made a lot of money, and I built a lot of houses. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. you. You see the damage that whatever you have, it's for kingdom investment. Okay. And this guy came back to, 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 the, to the master and said, here, what you gave me, I'm just giving you back. Exactly. A one-to-one. And he goes, nope. In contrast, that's not going to work. Look what it says here. Verse 26, but his master answered and said, 
you wicked, lazy servant or slave. You knew that I reaped where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank at least. <laughs> and on my arrival, uh, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent. He's commanding other servants. Take away his talent, his resources, and give it to the one who has ten. What is the principle here? If you won't use, if yeah, if you won't use what God has given you, um, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to use you. I'm going to move my. And he didn't take his talent, right? He took back his own talent. I didn't give Gary. Gary didn't give the guy back a talent, right? He just took back what it was on. He's like, no, no, I want to invest. So now you have 11. What are you probably going to do with it? Turn it into 22. Hey, kingdom investment. I'm all about kingdom investment. That's what Jesus is trying to get at. For verse 29, for everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, an illustration of, as a group, there are people within the group that don't know who Jesus is. And they're playing the part, but in the end, it is their, 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 their true roots, their true foundation is revealed. And the ones who are being blessed will be ultra, you know, ultimately blessed. And those who do not truly know who Christ is, they'll be thrown out. Verse 31, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels come with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Psalm 110, verse 1, you can write that down in your Bibles if you take notes. That is a direct reference back to, uh, to Psalm 10, uh, 110, 1. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates from the, goat, uh, the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And by the way, so I always had Miss Terry when I was preaching, I always made her sit on the right side of the, of the chapel for this very reason, because that was where the sheep sat. Um, and then the king will say to those uh, on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. But the righteous, the sheep that are on the right, by the way, they seem to not know they were in mixed company. The sheep and the goats were just out there hanging together like they were just pals. It was, it was the divine spirit that separated them. They didn't seem to recognize the sheep from the goats. You follow that truth? Okay. And he says to the sheep, you did good. You've done all of these things. And the sheep say back to him, what? what, what? The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? When were you naked and we clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these, my, to these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. One of the hallmarks of true Christian authenticity is how we serve others within the church. Okay? You want to see, uh, go read Ephesians chapter 4, essentially the first 11, 12 verses, and you will see a primer on what a healthy church community looks like. One of unity, but not uniformity. 
We don't all believe exactly the same way, but we all believe in Jesus, and we all have a vested interest in getting along with one another because we get along with Jesus, okay? That is a hallmark of a true, healthy Christian community. Ephesians 4, go read it. It's a great bit. And notice they weren't even aware that they had done this. Now, answer me this. Why do you think they weren't aware that they had been serving Jesus all along? Let's talk about it out loud. Okay. Where does that goodness come? Where does that goodness come from? Because you're on the right track, I think. They knew what Christ expected. Okay. They just it it became habit. Like if you see somebody, you help them because that's what Christ wanted you to do. Okay. There was a true change in them, and they were just doing what they were led to felt like they were led to do. Yeah. It it started becoming natural to them. Ah, natural. What naturally comes off of an apple tree? What naturally comes out of people who know and have the indwelling Holy Spirit? All of these things, right? And, and so they weren't even aware that they were doing it. I love, love, love when people come to know Jesus, but they don't, they're still a little messy, right? They don't, they, know, they don't know all the rules to keep and how to show up and dress in true Christian uh, church propriety, and they just... They just come in. I, 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 oh my gosh! There was my dad led a guy to Christ uh, when we were at North Morton Baptist Church, and when I say to you, he was on the rough side of life. Rough. He brought his wife and their kids. They showed up, and um, uh, so my dad's up there preaching. First time they'd ever been in church, and he's sitting up there, and he's got him and his wife, and they were sitting right behind uh, us. And my dad said something from the pulpit he really agreed with. And he went, hell yeah. And I was like, yeah. I mean, like, like he didn't know. That was, that, that was what was in it. Now, give him six months of, of progress. He was, amen, right? He, he, found, the, he found the right lingo. But, uh, but uh, like, the, he just knew that when God spoke, like something of joy came out of him, but his old life was still very much tied to that, old words, you know, old words, thoughts, and actions, and that just kind of came out, and I thought it was pretty funny. I still do. Uh, and, uh, and so what these people were doing for each other, Jesus said, you were doing it to me all along. We didn't even know that. And then look what happens in verse 41. And he will say to those on his left, that's the goats, again, part of the group, they didn't know they were distinct from the sheep. They all thought they looked alike. And he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they, then they then themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and when we did not take care of you? And he said, truly I say to you to the extent that you did not do it for one of these, of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The average, the average church goer in America, and this is not... People who just claim to be Christian. The average church go, grow, goer in America, guess how much of their finances they give to the work of the local church on average? 
What? No. Okay. Who else? Who would guess? 2%. 2%. It's the spot on answer. 2%. The average professing Christian agree that they go to church, church goers, gives 2% or less. If they're doing that into the offertory, they are what we call consumers. And the question you have to answer is, when you come to this place, are you coming to consume? Are you coming to get what you can get? Whether it's good Bible teaching or a sense of community, whatever else, or are you giving back to it? Now, that's uh, the money thing is just an aside, right? What are you, what are you investing into the, communi- the community? What are you investing into the kingdom? There are people who have gifts, and almost all of their gifts are what we'll call inside the church gifts, right? They don't let me go stand out at the courthouse at Brandon and teach Sunday school on Tuesday afternoon. That's not, I have an, one of my primary gifts is an inside the church gift, okay? Some people have outside the church gifts. Some people have inside the church gifts. The question is, are you using it to serve and to love people around you? Or are you being a consumer? And Jesus looks at his own disciples and says, some of y'all are sheep and some of y'all are goats. And I'm terribly afraid that you're not going to find out until we separate the herds. So self-reflection, do you have backup oil? Is the spirit within you? Do, you? do you have talents that you are investing in the kingdom and reaping reward to invest back into the kingdom? Uh, Are you serving and loving other Christians as they work for the Lord? And this is what Jesus is driving at. All right.